0: This morning, our scripture reading will be from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 1 down through verse 23. And this is the word of our God. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us and let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain it is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood and set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets and cries out at the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you.
1: Well, once again to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. We'll be looking at verses fifteen through seventeen this morning, and starting a new uh, subsection of the second half of Ephesians. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Ephesians chapter five, verses fifteen through seventeen. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. One contest that we had in 4-H Club when I was a kid was to give a demonstration on how to do something. And so one year, my friend and I decided that we would do our demonstration together. Our first problem was that we waited to the last minute. The second problem is that we chose a process that we knew nothing about. His florist mom suggested that we show how to protect houseplants when you go on vacation. And she said basically what you do is you water the plant thoroughly and then let it drain, and then you enclose it in a clear plastic bag. Well, because it was last minute, we only prepared what we would say. We didn't actually practice doing it. So the next day during the demonstration, we realized kind of midway through that the bag was too small, you know, so kind of improvised. But, you know, the judges knew that, you know, this was all messed up. And and, and the fact that we really didn't know what we were doing, it it did not go well. So the next year went a lot better. Now, I waited again to the last minute. But fortunately, Dad came to my rescue. He, he said, well, why don't you demonstrate something that you actually know about? Genius, right? <clears throat> well, he said, why don't you demonstrate how to shine shoes? See, I had watched my dad shine his shoes a zillion times. I had shined my own shoes many times, often, especially in the early days, with his supervision, And so that time it went so much better. In the Bible, wisdom can refer to technical skills. But it also applies to the skill in living life well. In... Ephesians 5:15 through 17 Paul calls you to practice understanding God's will practice understanding God's will so that you can watchfully walk in God's wisdom so practice understanding God's will so that you can watchfully walk in God's wisdom See wisdom is built on knowledge on instruction but it's also built upon practice. You're can't. you you're not wise just because you know stuff. It requires practice, too. My shoe-shining demo went well because I was given sufficient knowledge and adequate practice. So we're entering a new uh, section, subsection in Ephesians. So let's talk about where we're at before we get into the text. And so as we go to the next slide, you'll see here the two halves of Ephesians. So the first three, it's nice, you know, it's easy to divide chapters one through three, first half and four through six, the second half. The first half, remember, is that rich doctrinal truth where Paul is laying a foundation of all these wonderful blessings that God has given us. And then he applies it in chapters four through six. And so we said that if you give a heading to those two halves, the first is discover the vastness of God's love in calling. You and that calling is going to be a key term. We'll see it continued in the second half. He said he calls us to walk in a manner that is worthy of. Guess what? Your calling. Okay. So now let's let's expand that. Uh, the second half of, of uh, Ephesians four through six. On the next slide, you'll see that as we expand it and we kind of shrink down the first half. What he's doing there is he divides that up into these different. Uh, perspectives on how we are to walk. And so we've looked already through most of these. We looked at that we should walk in unity. So that heading where it, where he says in in 4-1, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's a heading. And then under that, he has these different, uh, ways we look at our walk. First being walk in unity and then walk in holiness. And then we looked at walk in love as we got into chapter five, and then walk in light. We just finished that. And then today we're taking up another perspective on our daily walk, which is our walk in wisdom, where he tells us to walk in wisdom. This is going to be a a longer section. It'll take us all the way to chapter six, verse nine, right before we, we get into the section about spiritual warfare. And so wisdom, walking in wisdom is going to cover all of that. So now Take a look here on the next slide to these perspectives. And so you've seen this before, but I added the new one on it, walking wisdom. These are just different ways of looking at or different perspectives on our daily walk. They're not different ways that we should walk. It's one walk down one path, God's path. But there's different perspectives, and so Paul is saying, okay, I want to look at it from this perspective first. Let's look at it from the perspective of unity, and then let's look at it from the perspective of holiness, and then, uh, as we saw, light or love, and then light, and now wisdom, okay? And so, now going to the next slide, let's take walk in wisdom, this new section that's before us, and let's expand it. and and talk about what it's made up of. So there's going to be three main sections there uh, in that. We're going to start into, just get started into the first one, where what he does is the first verses 15 through 21 of chapter 5, it's an exhortation to fear Christ in church relationships. He ends that with, you know, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So, Fear Christ in church relationships, and then we'll get into later, uh, 5.22 through 6.4, an exhortation to imitate Christ in our home relationships. And then he'll follow that up with an exhortation to serve Christ in work relationships. So, you remember as we began in the, about in the middle of chapter four, that put off, put on dynamic, that we have already put off the old man, we've put on the new, and then because of that, we need to put off specific sinful practices and put in their place, put on, as like clothing, put off, put on. Put on godly character traits. Well, what's happened now is that's kind of morphed a little bit. He's just changing the way he talks about it. So instead of saying put off, put on, he's now going to say not this, but that. But it's the same thing. He's just saying it a little differently. Not this, but that. And he's still giving a, a, a negative command followed by a positive. Okay, so we're going to still see the same thing like with the put off, put on. There's three pairs of those in this first subsection. 15 through 21, there's three pairs of these, not this, but that, verses 15, 17, and 18, where he will say, not this, but that. And we'll get to into the first two this morning. So as we get into the text, verses 15 through 17, first thing we note is this. Pay careful attention how you walk. Pay careful attention how you walk. First part of verse 15. And I want to back up and pick up the end of walking in love, verse 6. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. We'll start there. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So make a mental note. The sons of disobedience. These are that we used to be that. Okay, we used to be them. And, and so he's, he's going to call us now because you're different, as he's saying there, because you now, uh, or he's going to say just, you are light, children of light. You're not to be like them. That, that thought is going to continue on. So make a mental note of the sons of disobedience. because They'll come up again here in a bit. He says, therefore, verse 7, do not be partakers with them. Why? For you were formerly, formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them, again, the sons of light, in secret. Or sons of disobedience, sorry. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. And then he gives this exhortation. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And now, transitioning into walk in wisdom. Verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise so the word therefore starts a new section. It, it clues us in and we indeed find that because this is another perspective on how we are to walk. And you remember with this old, whole idea of a path or walking on that path is an Old Testament picture that it continues on into the New Testament. That you think, you know, Psalms and Proverbs and on, and there's this, you know, his, his word is a light to my path and all the picture is that we as believers are, are walking down a path or we're to walk down a path, a particular path, which is God's path and the path of wisdom as we're going to be talking about today. And as we're walking down that path, God's word shines light on it, illuminating that path for us so that we know where we're to walk and how we're to walk down that path. And so it, it matters because we're disciples. It matters how we walk. And as we think about the first part of verse 15, uh, the Holman Christian Standard uh, Bible, I think, did the best job of bringing out the main verb. In my beloved uh, NAS, they just represent the word, the verb to look, to beware of, uh, to watch, as just the word be. Okay, because they, they just kind of lumped it in together with be careful, right? Okay, but Holman Christian Standard puts it this way, pay careful attention. So you see they get both the ideas and they're careful, but then pay attention, the, the idea of, of looking. Um, so pay careful attention then to how you walk. And the ESV and the Legacy Standard are real close to that and did a good job. They've done a good job of that too. So pay careful attention to how you walk. This, again, is, a, we've seen this before, a present tense uh, command. And so it's make it a habit in the way you walk or in this, the paying attention. Make that a habit. And, and think in terms of, as, you know, we were driving in to church this morning, I was thinking about how we do this when we're driving, or at least hopefully, right? You know, you're, you're paying attention to your speed. You're, and then the speed limit, and okay, okay, this slows down. I need to bring it down. Uh, you pay attention to the other cars around you. You pay it, make sure that you're within the lines. Uh, you you watch for you know obstacles, you know potholes. We do that without even really thinking, because it's become a habit. And and so you know if you're able to drive very long without a lot of accidents, it it has become a habit that uh, if you will, it sees you safely down the road. And so Paul is calling us to do the same thing with the way we walk. And he's not talking so much about, you know, just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and make sure you're not tripping. He's talking about the way you live, the way you conduct your life. The word careful means to be accurate or alert. So when he's saying pay careful attention, there's an accuracy to it. You see that you're being on the alert. With the way it's again when you're driving if there's somebody out there that's driving you know recklessly, you want to be alert to that you know, or if you all of a sudden enter into a construction zone you want to be alert to that right because there may be workers you know stepping out and things like that and or or other cars that just stop too fast and And so we need to be alert, and that's what he's talking about. So concentrate on how you are are walking in your life as as a Christian. Concentrate on it. Watch out for distractions. Watch out for detours. Watch out to make sure that you are staying on God's path. So the second thing that we come to in verses 15 through 17 is this. Walk in wisdom. So he, he tells them, you know, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So he's telling them to walk in wisdom. And then he says here with this, not this, but that. Don't walk as unwise men, but walk as wise. Wise men. Who are these wise, these unwise men? Well, verse 6, they're the sons of disobedience that he's been talking about through that. He's talked about them before that, but he really calls them out there. And that stands out to us. The, the sons of disobedience, those uh, who they, they don't use care in how they are walking. They're not, they don't use care in how they conduct themselves in life. They don't take time to think about um, the way they behave in, in their conduct. These are the unwise, living well. Does not come naturally to any of us, and hopefully you're humble enough to realize that that you did not start out life being wise. Okay, and you know, if you if you think that, go back and read Proverbs, you know, and to talk about you know as when we're you know little babies and kids and you know we you know have a lot of foolishness that has to be driven out of us and taught out of us and taught to be wise. We each have to work at it. And we have to constantly make these course adjustments as we're going along. Not that God's path changes on us, but we sometimes, as we're walking down God's path, we, we will realize, just like if you're, you're driving and you kind of get distracted, and then you realize all of a sudden that you're, you're going over the line. And, you know, and on a the highway, they've got those, you know, those little things along the side that kind of drive you, you know. And it wakes you up and you, okay, we have to do that because sometimes we'll start veering a little bit and not realize it and we've got to pay attention and make those course adjustments. Think about what Paul said in Titus 3.3. 3, For we ourselves also once were foolish. Every one of us were once foolish, at least. If, and and um, we need to be growing in wisdom See, we once were foolish, but now we're God's children. He said previously in that section that we are now children of light. So walk as children of light. But here, Paul's telling us walk as wise men. Let's talk for a little bit about what is wisdom. Okay, uh, Bruce Waltke in his uh, commentary on Proverbs, two-volume commentaries, excellent. Uh, He defines wisdom as masterful understanding. So if you want a real short definition, uh, think here, skill, expertise, uh, some of the synonyms he gives it. It can describe technical skills, artistic skills. Uh, The word wisdom can describe um, skill in governing a nation, skill in diplomacy, even skill in war. That those are some of the ways that the word wisdom is used in Scripture. But the wisdom Paul's talking about, and which Proverbs talks most about, is not technical skill. It's talking about skill in moral and religious living. And I'm going to read some uh, pieces of, of Proverbs, verses in Proverbs. I've got them just the references listed there. But. Talks about describes wisdom this way: wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and, and equity. There in one three, which we looked at just a bit ago. Wisdom says to us, "I will walk in the way of righteousness," and it invites us to walk with her in eight twenty. And then you think about we had this we read, and then it comes up again, uh, again and again in the book. Uh, but like in chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So you see, it's not just technical skill that he's talking about there. It's the fear of the Lord. It's knowing the Holy One, knowing God. See, so those ideas, that is what wisdom is about. This, this skill in living life well. It's about fearing God and knowing God. And that is the wisdom that Paul is talking about. And this wisdom, it depends on, it draws upon knowledge. Knowledge precedes skill. So if, if you've learned how to do something, whether it's a, play a musical instrument or uh, sing or arts um, and other kinds of skills, just you know, fixing your car, those kinds of things, knowledge has to precede your skill. Okay? But knowledge is not enough. And I like what Waltke says when he's talking about... Living life well. A person could memorize the book of Proverbs and still lack wisdom if it did not affect his heart. And did you get that last part? If it doesn't affect your heart, you don't have wisdom. You're not wise. You might be able to quote from memory the entire book of Proverbs, but if it hasn't affected your heart, you are not wise. You have not gained the wisdom that you memorized about. Wisdom must impact your behavior. So then, wisdom, we can kind of put it in an equation like this on the next slide, where it is first theoretical knowledge. You have to have that. You've got to have the knowledge. And I don't mean theoretical like it's theory, but it's up here, okay? The knowledge. And it's distinguishing it from actual practice, right? So theoretical knowledge plus the skill to properly understand it. Plus, the skill to use it. And when you think about Proverbs, and Waltke brings these things out in his discussion as he gets into getting ready to get into the the Proverbs, helps us to see that it's all of that. You have to have the knowledge first before you can come to understand that knowledge. What does it mean? What am I supposed to do with it? And then the skill to actually use it. Okay, so it's all of that together. We could say it another way. Wisdom is insight into the practical use of knowledge. Wisdom is insight into the practical use of knowledge. And wisdom ought to be our cherished companion. When, when Kevin read from Proverbs 1, we saw there toward the end of that section, uh, lady wisdom is introduced. And she's saying, you know, walk with me, walk with me by your side um, and, and says that in different ways. And she says, if you do that, she promises a, a little further. We didn't read this part. Proverbs 133. She promises he who listens to me shall live securely. See, there's that living well. That's an aspect of it. And shall be at ease from the dread of evil. Wisdom learns to apply God's word so that we live well. And by living well, we're saying, how does God define living well? It doesn't mean, you know, just because you know, you've, you've got a lot of resources or, or your life is free from you know, troubles. How does God define it? That's what we're talking about. <clears throat> so that first part of 15 and 16 that we were looking at, walk as wise people rather than unwise. And There's one more thing he wants to say there. In verse 16, walking in wisdom <clears throat> includes snatching up every opportunity. Walking in wisdom includes snatching up every opportunity. So he tells us <clears throat> to walk as wise. Verse 16, here's why, or what we are to do in that. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. This idea of making the most of your time. It describes uh, buying or redeeming, and it's used of buying a slave and, and giving him his freedom. So buying him out of his slavery and giving him his freedom. It's used in Galatians 3 and 4 for Christ redeeming us. So where there's, there was that transaction where by payment of his blood to his father, he, he bought us out of our slavery to sin and being under the wrath of God. And so we sometimes will say redeeming the time. And that's the idea he's talking about here. But this particular word uh, is an intensified form of that word for redeem. And so... uh, Dr. Honer suggested, you know, calling it snatching up. And that's kind of what I, I like that because, it, there, you know, there's that action in it, you know, snatching it up, snatching up these available opportunities, these uh, moments of time. Uh, John Stott calls it buying up so that you're, you're, you're buying up as much as you can. You know, something that a favorite of yours, you know, goes on sale and it's a great price. And so what do you do? You buy up as many as you can afford. Right. And, and that's the idea behind this. <clears throat> You're snatching up or buying up every available opportunity. So, use time wisely, making the most of, our, of, your, of every opportunity. Use time wisely, making the most of every opportunity. W- why are we to have this kind of diligence, you know, where we're snatching it up or buying it up? Why do we have to do that? Well, he tells us the days are evil. That's why. Evil here is... Um, that which is morally bad, that which is morally evil. I think you're moral, spiritual, right? <clears throat> it's that which is opposed to God. Sin and Satan, they they tempt us to waste our to or to waste our time on worthless things. They tempt us to waste our time on personal conflict rather than building each other up. They, they tempt us to, uh, to misuse our leisure time. And leisure time is a good thing. We need, you know, some rest and to kind of recover. We need that and God gives us that. But it's so easy for us to abuse that and, um, and misuse it sin and satan distract us they discourage us they frustrate us so be on the alert there's that idea of watching right be on the alert just like when you're driving and you're watching you know for somebody that pulls out in front of you or watching for a huge pothole or whatever be on the alert <clears throat> so Paul's final point here in verse 17 is practice understanding God's will for how you should walk. Practice understanding. You say, wait wait a minute, John, practice understanding? Should I understand and then practice it? Well, yeah, but you need to practice understanding. Okay? And we're going to develop that here, okay? Practice understanding God's will for how you should walk. Verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul here is is drawing a conclusion, you know, he's got more to say, but based on what he just said, he's I need to give you a little conclusion here. But what he's doing is, he's making the same point, but with different words. You probably noticed that, you know, not unwise, but wise. And then here he's talking about, you know, don't be foolish, right? He's just using a different word to say the same thing. So here's the second, not this, but that pair. The not this don't become foolish. Okay, in proverbs and psalms we find a lot about the fool, right, and being foolish. And he Solomon there instructs us on what is a fool. A fool despises knowledge. We, we read that this morning. He despises knowledge. He despises wisdom, and so he never comes to a, a place where he becomes wise. Remember, if you don't have that base of knowledge, instruction then you'll never get to the place where you're wise. And, and so he, he rejects those things. He despises them. and So he never gets to the place where he's wise. You must choose to keep avoiding the path of foolishness. Again, the present tense. So keep avoiding the path of foolishness. So we're walking down God's path. But then, you know, there's those temptations. And it would be a path that's really foolishness. And he said, you know, keep watching for that path. Don't go down that one. Because this evil age, it tries to make God's ways seem outdated, right? Or old-fashioned, right? Unpopular. They're they're just for the weak. Or they're for, you know, those few of us that are just oddly religious, right? That's what the world wants us to think about God's ways, I mean, you just try it, talking with your unsaved neighbor or somebody, you know, at, at school or at work about God's ways. <laughs> Quickly, like, well, that's, that's, that's old-fashioned. It's outdated. That's, you know, for weak people or, you know, whatever. They have all kinds of ways to describe it that are not flattering. Resist the temptation to believe that. Remember that wisdom walks in God's ways. Remember this, that wisdom knows something they don't. So, young people. Remember this, because the world is is really going to be pulling on you for the next several years at least. Keep telling yourself "Ah, that wisdom knows something they don't know. And hopefully you are in God's wisdom, His Word, and you can say, I know something they don't know. Right? Next week, uh, Kevin's going to be talking about uh, or teaching us through Psalm 73. And that's exactly what what he does. I'm not try to steal uh, his thunder, but just he gets upset about everybody out there. Then he's like, "Oh yeah, I forgot. I know something they don't know." Okay, I'll leave it at that. So, <clears throat> but but that's the thing, right? We know something they don't know. If you have any of God's wisdom, you know something they don't know. And they'll say to you, Oh, it's old fashioned or whatever. A wise person is ever learning. None of us, even us as old folks, we've not stopped learning. We shouldn't have stopped learning. We're not done. We have to keep on learning, don't we? And what are we learning? Well, back to verse ten, how to please the Lord which is what we're going to get into here uh, next. So when he tells them here in verse 17, don't be foolish, not that, not this, but that, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So let's talk about the word understand for a minute originally this word described two things coming together like two rivers joining and so you'll see on the illustration I, I tried to show that to illustrate that that there these two rivers for example coming together okay and so when they come together that's what this word understand was used it was to describe that point okay so it came to be used then for when hearing a truth joins understanding in the mind. So again, I've tried to put that on the illustration so that you see, you know, the the river up at the top is is understanding, okay? You originally don't have that. Okay? And you originally don't have the truth. You haven't heard it yet. You haven't read it yet in the word, okay? And so then you hear that truth, and then as you you work on this to try to to gain this wisdom, what happens is is these two rivers come together in your mind. And so try to put, you know, the little disembodied head there, you know. So you've got, you know, then the mind and the thinking processes, right, where it comes together in the mind so that now that truth becomes useful to you in living well. This whole idea of, of wisdom, right? That's what's going on here, is that these things are coming together. Hearing the truth or reading it, for example... And then understanding of that truth, they come together in the mind. So understanding is knowing truth so well that it becomes useful for living. That's what understanding is. You know it so well that now you can actually use it. And you think about, you know, there are times where you you face something in life and, 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 you know, you know, okay. Okay, I know God's Word says something about that, but... mm, Hmm, it's gone, right? Okay, well, you don't know it well. You need to know it well. Maybe you need to memorize some of these verses. Study them until they're they're locked into your brain. But then you have to work on, well, how do I actually use that? I've used an example that's been so helpful to me in dealing with you know fear, you know, ungodly fear, sinful fear, where, you know, uh, in, in 1 John, uh, was it 4, 8, 18, I think, um, where he talks about... Um, there's no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear, right? Okay, when I first heard that and somebody was saying, okay, apply that to your fear, and I thought, that's great. Well, the first time it didn't go real well because I was like, well, how do I do that? So I explored it more and learned that, okay, well, what I need to be doing is that, so if I'm you know, in a situation where I'm fearful, then I need to think in terms of, I'm doing this because I love Jesus, and I'm doing this because I love this person, right? Right? am serving them even though they might reject my my ministry or my service to them right so then you know and then I could practice it and I did I started practicing it and it's like oh this is good <laughs> you know this is really helpful and and then I was able to see that that the fear was driven out by godly love so what is it that we're to understand what he's talking about here is the will of the Lord. So he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what does Paul mean by the Lord's will? Well, <clears throat> first, we need to answer, who's he talking about here? Whose will is this? Is it you know, the will of God, you know, like the Father, or is it Jesus? Well, it's Jesus, because in Ephesians, the Lord refers to Christ over and over again. So he's talking about this is, this is Jesus' will. This is Christ's will that he's talking about. So think here like in, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 9, verse 21, it's the law of Christ. This is what Christ has said. Okay, here's all. Remember, we talked about this when we talked about the law. You've got, you know, the moral, the timeless moral requirements of the old covenant. They're, they're taken and brought into the new covenant along with things that Jesus and his apostles have added to that. Right? So all of that is the law of Christ. And that is Christ's will. That's what we're seeking to understand and then live out. So that's the first thing. This is the will of Christ he's talking about. Second, this is not God's decretive will. Okay, we're going to talk about two different kinds of... When, it, when the Bible talks about God's will, and we're getting a little theological geeky here, I understand that, but hang in there with me. Because this will be helpful to you when you read, uh, and the Bible says, you know, uh, talks about God's will and knowing what the writer's talking about. This is not God's decretive will. That's His plan. That's what He has ordained. Okay, we saw back in Ephesians 1.11 that that God... uh, as I like how Westminster puts it, he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. It's so are the way of translating or interpreting uh, Ephesians 1 11. Okay. God ordains what's going to happen. Peter spoke of that uh, decretive will of God in 1 Peter 419. He said, he talks about those who suffer according to the will of God. So what he's saying there in First Peter four is that God's will, what I'm talking about is how God sometimes ordains that you suffer, and he does, okay? And so he says sometimes it's, it's, you know, God's will for you particularly to suffer right now for however long, okay? So that's God's to will, or his will of decree. But in that same chapter, First Peter 4, in verse 2, Paul referred to God's preceptive will. So instead of thinking God's decree, think about his precepts. Okay, so you think there, are you know, psalms, right? And uh, Psalm 19, 119, God's precepts. You know, how we are to live. <clears throat> he says there in chapter 4, verse 2, Peter does, we should live the rest of our days for the will of God. So he's using will in a different way there than he uses later in the chapter in verse 19. God wills that you, he's ordained that you suffer at times, But he also has laid out his precepts. This is how you're supposed to live. This is what will please God in your life. So he gives, in his word, precepts to live by that please him. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5.17. It's God's preceptive will here that he's talking about. So become familiar with God's will. Understand it and then do it. You see the way this works out, and this this is really practical um, you know back when in uh, our our early days of, of being Christians you know m- you know eons ago the the thing the, the real hot topic was or one of them was knowing god 's will you know knowing god 's secret will, and there were books that came out and and, and on, on different sides and in some it, idea the idea was and, and we were often taught this that we need to seek. You know, God's secret will, his specific will, it's like, OK, you know, should I get married? And if so, whom should I marry? And so, we, OK, Lord, you know, tell me the specific woman that I should marry because I, I don't want to marry the wrong one. You know that, you know, maybe I like her, but you don't want me to marry her. And so let me know that, you know. So then we try to be Gideon and all, which, by the way, God already told Gideon what his will was. Right. And the fleece wasn't about knowing God's will. It was because of his weak faith what God does in His preceptive will, the precepts, is He He gives us in the Word these different precepts, these principles. And they form a boundary for us. And so anything within that boundary, God is fine with. You can make any choice within that boundary. Right? And so, for example, that question... You know, and so the young people are really listening right now. So probably should have started with this, right? Uh, but they're thinking, okay, who whom should I marry? Well, you know, the one biggie is what in the yeah the believer they have to be in the Lord, right? And and so and then there's some others that that apply in there, but that's that's kind of the one biggie you have to start with. If they're not in the Lord, then then the answer is immediately no, right? See, so it sets a boundary. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you want to and you're, you want to marry, then which is the available of people that I can marry, right? And and so that that's, that's the, the boundary that it lays. Well, <clears throat> so He gives us those boundaries for those specific decisions. You know, and what we're talking about here is not that. Well, I'm wondering, would it be okay for me to steal? Okay, well, no, I mean again, God has said, no, flat out, thou shalt not steal, right so um we're talking about those things where God doesn't he he did not tell me that I was to marry you know this lovely lady, okay now she had god's word to tell her to marry me because I quoted to her, you know first John or John one, there came a man sent from God, and his name was John, so um <laughs> I really told her that and I didn't really believe it but you know it it worked so you know no <clears throat> but don't seek a sign for that specific decision to make right uh, and don't don't look for a verse either right <clears throat> God gives you freedom within His revealed will to make any choice within those set boundaries. Okay, so that's wonderful because then it's like, well, this lady I'm wanting to marry, she fits within that boundary, and so I I can know that God's okay with that, right? So make it a practice. To understand what God's will is. Again, make it a practice because this is a present tense imperative, a a command. And it's present tense. It's it's this idea of make it a habit. It's not a one and done. Okay. You don't say, okay, I'm going to study Proverbs. I'm going to have wisdom. I get it down, pat and everything. I work on practicing it and then I'm done. That's not ever going to happen. You're not ever going to be done. You're always having to work on it, always having to learn. And you talk to any of us who have been Christians for a long, long time, and if we're honest, we'll tell you, oh, yeah, I still all the time have to look into God's Word and have it help me and guide me in the decisions I'm making or the way that I'm going to conduct myself, Uh, sometimes in these specific areas that I maybe haven't um, come across before or God maybe hasn't, uh, you know, raised a red flag in my life yet about that. He's been working on plenty of other things. And then we come to something that I've been doing wrong, you know, not a huge thing, but the little things become big, you know, the further we go in our Christian walk. And so it's like God's raising a flag. Okay, John, now it's time to work on this. Like, ooh, okay, how do I do that, right? I have to get into the Word, just like all of us do. Search the Bible for principles that, that can apply. There's not going to be one like, you know... If thou wantest to marry a woman, you know, and then here's, you know, ten principles. It doesn't do that. You know, at least not most of the time. You have to go in there and look. You have to work and, and gather these these principles from God's Word. But it's free. It's free. Because then you don't have to stress out over, well, what if I marry the wrong person? Okay? Then I'm stuck. You know, you don't you don't have to stress over that, because if the, if they're within God's boundaries, there's not a wrong person, right? Search the Bible for principles that apply to that decision you're wanting to make, or or to how you're going to conduct yourself. Not just for decisions and that, in you know whom should I marry, but there's also the idea of this this conduct. Now there's some like again, like okay, you know, I'm thinking about. Stealing for a living, well, bank, you know, rob banks. Okay. Well, we know that that one's an easy one, right? No. But there are other things in your conduct that maybe don't seem quite as, as big as that, but they're important because they're important to God. And, and we sometimes still have to go and think, okay, Lord, so in this specific situation... What do I do here? Or what what should be the dominant characteristic that really, you know, shines here? That, that uh, this character of Christ that will help me know the right thing to do here. <clears throat> then speak with wise, godly people for the wisdom that they've a- attained. Okay, so a lot of us have already gone through those decisions, right? And and so ask. And, and hopefully we're humble enough to say, well, I don't know that one yet. I, I'm still working on that. But if we like, okay, this was helpful to me. Ask for that. <clears throat> then pray for the Holy Spirit to help you think through what you've collected and the wisdom to then use it, to use it well. Okay, so that's where this practicing comes in. And all. You have to say, so, okay, so... Whom should I marry? Okay, just be in the Lord. And then, you know, I was talking to some, some folks that, you know, they've been married and, and they've gone through that and experienced, you know, many years together. So here's some wise principles they've given me from the Word of God that can help. And collect all of that. And then pray, you know, God, through your Holy Spirit, show me how to, I mean, help me to use this well. To use all of this material I've collected, to use it well. And then pray for the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to do it, to make the decision. Because that's one of those where we get kind of hung up. We're kind of like, oh yeah, that's that's what I should do. Well, I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid to, you know, take that step. So pray for the courage to do what you now know is the wise thing to do. Well, as we turn our attention now to the Lord's Supper... Think about, uh, when when you talk about God's will, uh, Jesus, do you remember in John 4, um, He had something there to say about God's will. Uh, What what did God's will mean to Him? Do you remember that? He was talking about, after the woman at the well, and He's talking about, you know, food and bread and stuff, and the disciples were kind of like, you know, what's He talking about? And... And he said, my food is what? Do you remember that? My food is to do my Father's will. So you think about it, I mean, I love to eat, right? You can tell. And to him, you know, food is so important to human beings. We need it to live. And he was saying that as important as food is to me several times a day, every day. That's what doing God's will is to me. It's that important. That's my food. And I actually put that above literal food, Jesus would say. That's what gets me by. That's what sustains me. That's what drives me, is to do God's will. So, talking about Jesus his attitude toward and willingness to, to desire to do God's will, the writer of the Hebrews elaborates on that thought. Hebrews 10, verse 5, he says, Therefore, when he, Jesus, comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have desi- not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin... You have taken no pleasure. And then, of course, here he's he's talking. Uh, this is the Messiah talking. Jesus talking. Then I said, behold, I have come in the role of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And then, skipping down to verse 7, the writer says, by this will, the will Jesus fulfilling the will of god by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all do you see god's will is really important that's what that's what drove jesus in his life that's what drove him to the cross and drove him to be willing to die there a horrible death on the cross is because that's what his father willed Is I want to do what you will, Father. And he was willing to go all the way. His will was perfectly aligned with his Father's will. He lived and died fulfilling God's will. And his death and resurrection now enable us, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, they enable us to do God's will. We can't please God outside of Christ, we have to be in him. Trusting in the work that He's done, His death, to pay for our sins. And trusting in His resurrection to give us life. We have to trust in those things and trust in Jesus. And then we will be enabled to do God's will.